in. All right. And might as well just uh, hop and pop right into it because <clears throat> time is never on your side. Um, when we first did a gosh darn uh, talk fury, uh, 2020 was really just beginning to show itself to be 2020, which is more like every year, but more people know about it. And the um, and at the end of the episode, um, almost Dr. Sprinkler here said um, it did like a, a clo- closing remarks and then said it's going to be a hot summer. And we have Dr. Sprinkler here representing Fury, Feminist Uprising to Resist Inequality and Exploitation. And Chelsea Sprinkler, was it a hot summer? Yeah, it's a very hot summer. Um, because I think the fires on the West Coast would uh, confirm it's a hot summer. I think uh, these hurricanes coming in and in New Orleans, Louisiana, where I'm now relocated to, uh, would say it's a, it's a hot summer. Um, I think these continued riots and uprisings would say it's a hot summer. So, yeah, it's been a hot summer. Yeah, I, I remember leaning on that when you said it. I was like, I was like, I don't know, this kid is fucking smart. I think I'm going to go with what the young person said. And I was right to bet it on youth. You know, even though even though you're 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 getting close to the thirties club, it's neat, back pain for no reason. The um and what what was cracking off? I mean what? The um I mean folks that follow programs like Democracy Now and whatnot, like knew there was a coronavirus coming, didn't know it would get this real. But uh by the time the summer was here, what, stimulus checks had come and went. Uh the um what 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 else was that that came that came and went up? Uh, what now? Workers are heroes. We don't know where the hell the murder hornets are, and the um, and at this point, I think that somewhere that I was just about to be wrong, I actually had to reverse reverse myself, because in 2018 I started arguing that you know the young white kids out there and you know and there's up and you know there's black folks and a lot of folks out there but a lot of these young white kids out there may not know just how real the not just the system is but the other white people are like i i think a lot of the young white kids underestimated other white people and i started arguing in 2018 that you need to take on a gangbang mentality because the other guys yeah. are presenting themselves as gangs proud boys are a gang you know like you need to understand you need to start turf hogging like if you're gonna go into an area you need to recon that area like you're gonna like you plan to do a protest on thursday then on monday you need to be out there like okay this gas station right here we need to lock down that we need to have that gas station have some people there just in case we get hit with pepper spray they can grab some milk real quick right we need to have uh, some people over here at 20th street here some people at acorn boulevard and then if you see those fucking um those, those fucking neo-nazis coming in the proud boys and all those folks they generally uniform themselves you can see them coming like keep them out of this parameter like you need to treat it like it's your hood and then i started thinking maybe i'm going too far maybe i'm tripping but then Kyle Rittenhouse said, "No, no, you're not tripping. We are here to bang." Like, ha, ha, yeah. you, you saw the Kyle Rittenhouse. What did you think of that when you first saw it? Yeah, um, I think that is gonna. I, I think people are waking up to just uh, the reality of violence here in the United States. So, um, you know, it it doesn't surprise me at all. It's very it's maddening but it's, it's really just the violence is just kind of coming to the forefront now and people need to wake up you know i think you're you're really right william about the approach people take to protest um i think people have gotten liberals have gotten so conditioned that protests are an experience that they get to go to um i mean we can talk about all the psychology that goes into it in different types of protests but you know, liberals think it's a way to kind of show their signs, take some pictures, absolve, white liberals think it's a way to absolve their guilt. 
it's a it's a performance, really. You know, much of protests are a performance. It's not a tactical or strategic thing anymore. And people are seeing that you know, no, this the political reality right now is 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 violence. And it's not a performance that you go out to and just take some photos at to post on your Facebook. This is to other people to counter protesters right now. This is an this an, it's an insurgency. They have militias. They got guns. They feel that America that that they are trying to hold on to an, an America that is very unstable, and it is unstable. It's absolutely unstable. And liberals think that they're gonna that their version of protest is bringing things back to stability and that they're going to make America stable again. They're going to make America great again in their own way, really. That's what they think. And it is not stable. And we are at a breaking point of decades and decades of bad policies, um, corrupt politicians letting conditions get worse and worse in the United States by this lesser to evils mentality that we have. The United States public that sense of itself and is it's completely rotted out and this is the rot that shows that people need to wake up and be aware of that that it's completely rotted out and it's and we could face a war we could face a civil war and that's that's been it's not a surprise to me um you know if you've been living under a rock maybe it is but it's um yeah you know i think people have to really be aware of what they're they're going into with protests these militias they go out and train they go out on the weekends these are men who go out and they go in the woods and they practice shooting and coordinating and, and doing you know their semi-military uh training that they do so you know um i posted on my facebook pages i believe yesterday or the day before a video of what's happening in Louisville, kentucky with the various uh militia groups it was all about the arms there's arms protesters black protesters who are showing up and one woman she was a grandmother she was a great quote she said she's not going to show up to a you know you don't bring knives to a gunfight and they're you know they're done asking uh peacefully to you know to have their lives um to keep their lives so they're not gonna they're not gonna you know ask peacefully anymore and they're not naive about the situation that they're in. So there's there are crowd boys, there's all these different militia groups that are showing up to protect private property at Black Lives Matter protests with a lot of unarmed people who are unaware that this is the reality. Um, and then there's this, I, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of their group right now, but there's a, a black nationalist um, militia that is uh, really interesting. That's outside of Louisville. That that goes straight up marching and doing tactical practice and showing themselves. Um, if I remember the name, I can pull it up and remind people. But yeah, this little video clip is um, the, the reporter's pretty ignorant. If you find it, this the white male reporter. But um, but this is the reality of what's going on. And so don't don't show up to a, a gunfight. It's a gunfight. Now don't show up to a gunfight tonight. So. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is why we've been talking about self-defensive theory for several years. Not just this in the streets, but, you know, but we're, but a big part of why we started our self-defense training is we knew that conditions were deteriorating. The economic conditions and social conditions are deteriorating in the United States, and that means that oppressed people are going to, are going to receive an increase in violence. Yes, yeah, and um, and continuing on with the banging, and I'm I'm thinking Kyle Rittenhouse again, right? Because that, and I and I haven't put his name in my postings because I think he's just uh, he he's a piece to a bigger puzzle, and like something to be aware of. Again, if you're going out there, like yeah, the older men are out there and they're violent too, but just like something that um that Snoop Dogg called out back in um in nineteen ninety six was that you got OGs sending BGs on a mission, right? Like um you got men in their fifties, their sixties and their forties making websites like all the Daily Stormer and joints like that and um you know, was that Breitbart and all that stuff? Those are older, grown men making those websites. And what do they do? 
they get into the head of a motherfucker like Dylan Roof, and then Dylan Roof goes out there as a little BG and puts in that work and gets life in prison while those dirty ass OGs are out there sitting out there. So maybe if you're some little right winger, some little 17, 15 year old right winger that may just happen to tune into this because you want to see what the SJWs are talking about. I'm talking about how your big homies don't give a fuck about you. But then also look for those Kyle Rittenhouses because, you know, you see his picture close up. He looks like a little punk ass 12 year old. But when you see those little motherfuckers, they are ready to put in work faster than the OGs. And you can quote Ice Cube on this from his Lethal Injection album on the song uh, Little Ass G. Little Lokes are harder than the OGs. Because OGs are jaded and they're selfish. They still want the movement, but they don't want to put in work. So just uh, that's also something to look for. You see a young nigga, that's way more dangerous than the old dude with the mullet and the fucking handlebar mustache posing on the fucking Harley Davidson. That dude ain't hard. That's, that's, that's a wrinkled old man that's posing with his tattoos. That little young dude, that's the one that's going to blast on you first. That's something I think. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. You know, um, there's a lot of young people who, and that's a great comparison to this kind of game uh, mentality. Is you know, the young folks have proven themselves to be part of to be part of the game in, in a lot of ways. You know, they got to come up, and they're on the front line. So, um, in the military, and be like that too. The generals aren't going to get killed. It's going to be those young guys who 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 sacrificed themselves to, 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 uh, to conform to the military and to prove themselves as a, as a, as a martyr for their cause in some way. So they'll do that. So, you know, and I think people should be aware that, you know, just like, you know, with Generation Z folks and millennials to some extent, you know, we're, we're still coming up in this world that has very little offered for us. And that makes extremists on both ends. That will, that will create extremists. The less opportunities there are for people, the more people um, are alienated and feel that there's not a job market for them. You know, they went through a school system that, if they went through a public school system, there's nothing and they get out and there's nothing for them but poverty and jail. That will create extremes in people. And that's not just going to be for the oppressed. That's going to be for that's going to be for a lot of pissed off white people who think that this country was made for them, and now they have nothing, and they have they psychologically feel that they are owed so much for who they are. And oppressed people should wake up and have that. They should feel that same deserving. Women should feel that. Uh, you know, black and brown folks in this country should feel that. They should feel that they are owed something, but. Oppression has made us be willing to take more than we should be willing to take. But white folks, no, they, they, this country was built for them, right? The founding fathers still called this for them and made this land of uh, bread and honey. Where's all the bread and the honey? They got a gun to get their bread and honey. Like, so we people need to be aware of that. And that's the kind of reality for these kids like Rittenhouse. You know, maybe more than their grandfathers. So, um... A lot more than their grandfathers. Their grandfathers had jobs. Um, so, you know, and this, this brings up an issue that I think protest movements, anybody who is, gets into activism or goes to protest will, will start to be aware of. And for the last decade that I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm fairly young, um, I've, from what I've been able to see in the last decade at least, there's a huge um, demonization by liberals of more radical groups at protests like um, like Antifa, um, but more specifically groups like Black Bloc, if you're familiar with that, William, um, which for those listening, Black Bloc is just a tactical group, um, kind of like Antifa. There's no organization. There's no leaders. There's no, um, there's no place they meet. There's nothing like that. They don't know each other's names and organize. It's, it's just a tactical um, agreement that people who are used to protest culture, some of them do. A lot of them are anarchists. But um, Black Bloc is people who wear all black and often have like bandanas or masks to wear all, you know, at protest um, to kind of I, both identify themselves but also make themselves anonymous because if everybody's wearing black, 
if there's a hundred people at a protest wearing black, you can't identify them to the police on who does what if they break the law. And breaking the law is, is more, you know, they're not just there to destroy property. They are willing to be, to engage in violence. When I say violence, transgression, breaking the law. Um, but mostly what they do is their, their agreement, what they, they kind of understand their job as Black Block is at protest, they will help people um, and combat the police if they have to. So they will do things like the arrest people. The police are trying to scoop up people on the edges of a protest. And sometimes that will be slower people. You know, you've got people, you imagine a huge protest with thousands of people, and you've got disabled people or people who walk slower for whatever reason. You know, maybe they straggle at the end of a protest. And if those people get stuck by themselves, if there's a group of just a couple people straggling at the end of a protest in the middle of the street where they're not supposed to be, for instance, and there's a huge gap between them and the rest of the protest, it's really easy for those stragglers to get cut off by the police and arrested, for instance, and they get picked on. So something Black Block will do is anybody in those black clothes, they'll stay at the back. They'll stay at the front and they'll stay at the back and hang out. And they will watch and, and block and kind of, they'll even the link arms or something at the at the back so the police don't just creep up and wrap around those people. Or they will then run up to the rest of the group and say, hey, slow down, you got a, you got a big gap. Your, your group has broken off into, a, into multiple stragglers. You all need to slow down and keep together because that's how you keep each other more safe is keeping together. So, you know, they're mostly relating to the police because mostly it's been, you know, the, the state negotiates violence and violence against protesters. But now we're seeing that breaking down. We're seeing that breaking completely down with vigilantes. So, um, Black Block, you know, they get, so they're willing to, if the police try to scoop someone up, they will be willing to run in and grab that person and try to grab them back from the police so the police don't take them and arrest them. If that person doesn't want to be arrested and they're resisting, right? So, like, they'll go in and be arrested, and that's a federal, that's like, that's a, that's a, that's a, I believe it's a felony. So, because you're obstructing justice, you're obstructing the police from um, doing their job. You're not just passively doing the wrong thing, like at a protest and getting arrested. You are, you took somebody back and stopped the police from doing their job. So, they'll do stuff like that, and they mask up and they wear all black so that they can do that and then they'll run back into the, the crowd and the police can't target them because they're all wearing the same uniform color. So they'll do stuff like that, which, so because they do stuff like that, you get liberals and peaceful protesters who demonize them and say, oh, you're coming into our peaceful march and making it not peaceful. You're shaking things up with the police. You know, these are anarchists who are willing to break a window or something like that, you know, when things get serious, those, you know, you better stop demonizing those people because those people actually know how to deal with violence. They know how to look out for other people. They're not there to get their damn photo taken for Facebook, for Black Lives Matter, you know, for to, to post as their profile pic. These are people who are willing to throw down and look out for other people and are willing to break the law to, to do what they need to do. And that's what's happening now. This isn't this isn't performative protest. This is tactical protest now. So those are the people that we need and we need to look to. So we better shut up about, you know, I'm saying we in, in the way of, like, general protest culture in the United States better wake up and make friends with those kinds of people. Mm. Folks, this is uh, Chelsea Springler, Talk Fury. I see... Um, Jessica Loco, uh, longtime uh, wine cellar head, said, uh, "Yep, you see us live, indeed." And uh, and I see uh, Jessica left a comment saying, "Absolutely." So uh, agreeing with something you're saying I, from 15 minutes ago, and uh, Fallon Kitty from FallonKitty.com uh, said, "I can't imagine how this also plays." And uh, <clears throat> Oh, okay. There's there's more to it. I can't imagine how this also plays into right wingers who are by POC like um, like international students who land in the U.S. in pursuit of that uh, neoliberal dream and respectability politics. And just noticing that heavy in circles with red hat tokens or old money. Yeah, I think that um, 
Wait, bi PL that's B I P that's a, so I think that's bisexual people of color. I don't really know all the acronyms. I think that's black and that refers to black and indigenous, I believe. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay, I get it. All right. Yeah, I think about like um like a motherfucker. Okay, so a lot of the lefties sometimes this regularly ends up in my news feed or like lefty podcasts I listen to because I'm I'm unabashedly in echo chambers. I'm fine with that. But I see people yeah. regularly sharing these clips from this program called Rising from the publication The Hill. And they're always like, look where Crystal Ball gets it right. Check out Crystal Ball gets it right. And they rarely note Crystal Ball's host, who was a cat named Sagar Jetty, which is one of these uh, people of color I don't know if Sagar is an immigrant or a child of immigrants. They're, um, they accentuate pretty generically American, sound very North American, Northeastern a little bit. And um, Sagar is anti-black as shit. And Crystal Ball and Sagar, they spent like eight minutes defending uh, rape culture. And it's like, yeah, they got some ill um, hot takes. But then I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, why is Sagar like such an asshole and crystal balls an asshole too but uh but sagar is um self-described as a right-wing populist because i kept thinking like why is he trying to be like oh the republicans should do this if they think they want to win and it's like oh because th- th- this cat and it's like no nah, i'm not with bo- either party but when a motherfucker's right wing i understand all the shit that you're okay with like if you're like if you're with the Democrats, I might be able to get to you because I know you may have some problems with misogyny, racism, and whatnot. But if you're with the Republicans, that like since Lee Atwater, then I know that there's all sorts of shit that you're fucking fine with and smiling in my face. And I'm pretty sure he comes from class privilege because I I finally watched a video where it was Sagar without Crystal. So it was just nothing but the right wing talking points. And it was just him and another guy. I think they're from India. Not sure. Don't quote me on that. And um, and the whole segment was about 10 to 15 minutes about how the Negroes in America are just too lazy and not putting in an effort like us people of color immigrants. And I think that's the class thing where um, where Fallon Matthew was uh, putting out, like, how does this play into these right wingers who are um, by POC? And it's like it, it's class, like Dr. Springler keeps bringing up, like when like these folks are really not class oppressed. Somebody, a white person may call them um, some racial slur, but they're still going to go to a roof that's comfortable with heat and nice clothing and plenty to eat and plenty of opportunities while the black person that Sagar apparently hates just does not have that. Okay. That's what Fallon Matthew made me think of with that comment, Dr. Springler. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's an interesting point to bring up is when things continue to snap and break here in the United States and it will, it's, I mean, we were not, this country was sustainable before the coronavirus. Um, we, you know, jobs have left the United States. No one's in there, neither Democrats nor Republicans. Trump, to some extent, he rode in on that promise, right, to restore jobs to the United States, which used to be a thing, ironically, that Democrats used to fight for a few decades ago. They used to say that part of the job of unions in the United States was to make trade deals that protected a certain amount of jobs in the United States. So it's ironic that the only one talking about that is Trump, and that's why it's popular. Uh, it's part of why it's popular. There's other reasons and racism and things like that. But anyway, not to get on that tangent, but there's nobody that the United States is not okay. It's not, it's not stable for so many populations. Um, and then the coronavirus rolls in, and... Get, and causes, what, 30 to 40 percent unemployment rates, um, mass instability, evictions are just sitting there waiting to happen as soon as uh, different municipalities and states agree to lift the lift the demand, the moratoriums that a lot of places have are just kind of holding off because people haven't been able to pay their, their rent for six months. What's going to happen when 
we get a vaccine maybe or whatever happens and we say, oh, everything's back to normal. Where's that money? Where's your rent for the last year? It's going to be, I mean, there are going to be waves and waves of more breakdowns and dysfunctions and problems happening that we're going to see into 2021. So, given that, you know, somebody brought up some interesting stuff online. Some of these folks who are doing, you know, homesteading, you could say, or, um, you know, you've got some more militant, I like the term, the, the maroon um, maroon farms. There's some folks who are nationalists who are going out and buying land, you know, especially black folks who are going out and getting land to, to, to fist on, and they know this, and they got guns. You know, so I think it's interesting to think somebody brought up, look at the population and the places that you're going to. What, how many counties in the United States, for instance, and where are they? Each state are majority black. Because if you imagine things break down in the United States and you're going out to try to farm on some land, anyone, that could be me, that could be anybody else. The way Syria's thinking, we, we're thinking about land, right? Um, and farming and things like that. Um, surviving. Um, where is that going to be at? Is it going to be at a place that, in a rural area that's 80% white? And what happens when all those white people got guns and things get serious? Versus a county that, the counties that are scattered mostly throughout the South that are still majority black. And what's their politics? So are there black Republicans that have guns on the farms? And if things broke down, do you think they would ride with the white people who are starting a race war or would they ride with the rest of the black folks and the protesters even if they don't politically agree what would happen you know that's that's the kind of conversations people are starting to have is where would people's alliance be when people when when it's just shootouts and violence and mob mentality going on across the united states and the police do nothing about it and the state just lets it happen and biden goes back to hiding Huh. I think them niggas is rolling with the white people. Also, because like think because so? I think because again, like if you're a black Democrat, like I might be able to work with you a little bit. But if you're a black Republican, like you know what in the holy hell you signed up for, which is why niggas should have been looking at Elon James White sideways way before that Thanksgiving shit. Hello, black Twitter. But uh, fucking um. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that, but also pragmatically, they're gonna side with the white people, um, even at the even at the risk, right? Because maybe they're not thinking about it as far as I am. But like, once if if they really get full on genocidal and you side with the white people, and they're like, all right, come on, boy, come on, roll with us, boy. Listen here, it's gonna be pretty good. And you roll with them, and after they kill off as many black people and slave some. You think they're not going to lynch you afterwards? Like, they're not, or I mean, maybe they'll give you a job looking after the other slaves and you get a better shack in the end. But you also got to remember, like, um, like the pragmatic side of a, uh, a, a, a black interracial bootlicker choosing the white side. Like, they know that the police is on that side, the clan is on that side, um, the MAGA hat gangbang boys, the all them proud fellers. Uh, all these militia groups, like they really just have more institutional power and more firepower on that side, you know, and like just thinking back again, not to go too far way off back to the beginning of the episode, but like if you're going out there protesting and getting into that gangbang situation, remember the folks that came to bang against you have the cops on their motherfucking side these patriot prayer gangbangers and all that they've got the whole police force behind them like they may have to yeah. arrest them just to make get, get the look on camera of like well we arrested people from both parties but they're all good and then you look at um and i know a lot of us had a little laugh and a giggle i did too um when um this cat got arrested and the police called him the um like the antifa executive or some shit like that like just arbitrarily gave him some big name and it's like that kid's gonna end up in prison you know and some of you other cats you're gonna end up in prison and you young white kids in prison they're gonna you're either gonna have to be racist in there especially if especially in california you're gonna have to be racist in there or you're going to have to be unprotected in there. 
right? Because you're gonna have to join a prison gang or attempt to function unsafe without one as a 21 year old that got arrested for protesting or carrying or getting accused of carrying. Remember, the police will plant shit on you and lie, ask black people. So like, that's just something else to keep in mind is that you're gonna end up in that prison system, most likely. Yeah. I may have tangented way too far. <laughs> no, not at all. And that's kind of, you know, it's a lot to wrap up on. A lot has happened since, uh, you know, the end of summer. So, so we can, uh, uh, we, we can flip it. Fl- uh, f- yeah, f- flip flip gears. The wine cellar heads are used to that. We still got the same base of uh, regular downloaders. Um we both moved. Neither of us are in Illinois. So now you are down <laughs> where and doing what? Yeah, I am in New Orleans now and starting my PhD program for the next five years or so. Um, so, yeah, you know, Fury is, uh, I think it's some updates on Fury too. So while I do that, I'm starting a branch of Fury down here in New Orleans, and we because we still got our original one up in Chicago. We have another grant branch that's been in the works the past couple of months in Austin, Texas. And so we're laying, laying a lot of groundwork. It's, it's difficult to do a lot of our programs because of the virus right now, so our self-defense training is not currently happening, but we are trying to figure out maybe safe outdoor ways we can do that. Um, but an important update, we are starting a pantry program. Chicago is already happening. Um, it's called the Red Rag Pantry, and we will be making announcements on uh, Fury's Facebook if you follow that. Uh, Fury, by the way, for any listeners, is F-U-R-I-E. That's our acronym. And so if you look us up, you'll find a little fist, and it's a feminist organization. Um, so we, uh, we find us on Facebook mostly. Or our website, panwomanist.org. Anyway, so the Red Rack is a pantry that's been going for the since the pandemic started in Chicago. Um, a local social worker started it, and it's, a, it's uh, near Cortland and Drake, for those of you who are in Chicago. But um, anyway, it's, a, it's got, you know, canned food, soup. It's got, um trying to remember the name of the the heroin overdose um, prevention um, is it not oh, uh, I'm, I can't remember the name of it but the, the injections you can take to, to stop an overdose we've got some of those we've got um, you know uh, women's and period toiletries that people need it uh, free and stuff like that that's out there all the time and so we're taking it over the operation because it was, it was too much for the one woman to do by herself. So um, that's cool. We're going to be spreading that to Austin and New Orleans as soon as we can. And we're, we're expanding it in Chicago. So it is a, uh, you know, mutual aid uh, food program, basically. And um, the Red Rat came from, we're still looking into this, but uh, the original person who made the pantry named it the Red Rag after a Colombian mutual aid project that I, I haven't seen a lot online. And part of that, you know, is also, as you know, the United States is purposely awful about um, covering, honestly, the, the events that's happening in other countries, uh, especially in Latin America and other areas of the uh, so-called third world. So we don't have a lot of reporting, you know, even in English about what's really happening in um, Colombia in the streets like that, in the poor areas. So, but apparently, so in Colombia, they um, have been, there's a process where people who need help, and so there's some kind of organization happening, and I'm, I'm assuming it's socialist because they call it the Red, like the Red Rag. You put out a red rag outside your door if you need help and supplies. And groups that, because um, I'm assuming this, this also has to do with not having as much internet access and phone options. It's a very direct way of people who go down the street to help you or come and knock to, to help. Um, and I, I don't know how much this has to do with the virus, too. Maybe it's a way to signal the people without coming face to face with them that you need help. 
Um, but you put a red rag out and somebody will come help you and bring you supplies if they can. So, and red also has a lot of symbolisms with, you know, red, the Red Army and Soviet Union. Red is a, a known, you know, the Red Scare was a communist, so that's a, that's a communist left color. Um, anyway, so that's why the uh, original woman made made called it the Red Rack. So we're going to stick with that name for now, and we're trying to figure out if we can actually find this organization in Colombia that started doing this in the street. So um, very interesting, and we'll I'll keep you updated on the developments with that. But we are uh, we're doing things, and I'm uh, I'm starting with the groundwork in New Orleans uh, between hurricanes here. Shit. And um, we are over here. I'm not doing nearly as much as that. But I guess I am. I'm a fucking full-time ass worker and very domestic-ass person. Um, I'm I'm still with the same factory, right? And um, the way I see, I, I'm an uneducated person, but it is interesting like as far as, like, whatever formal education. But, like, it is interesting to me that, ironically, I just happened to be at the factory for four years. And though I don't have degrees... I have certificates for my promotions and for, um, like, Kaizen events that I've done for things that I've learned as far as mechanics with the maintenance department and, um, you know, forklift certification, Skyjack certification, uh, boom lift. This is all equipment I can operate, right? If, if, right, if, if the, um... If the revolution happens in my lifetime, folks, just know that I bring a knowledge of equipment and mechanics to the table if you need someone in your community. And um, so I have, I guess, those working class degrees that I'm going with. And now this is where it gets real interesting. Where I got hired originally, it was a place that is mostly functioning on um, immigration labor from Mexico. And lately, they've been bringing in more from India and from uh, from Africa, you know. And um, and they start out like one of the cats that worked there said they started in the late 90s at five dollars an hour, even for the late 90s. Holy shit. Right. And um, and then you got you got heads there like uh, like one cat there started working there when they were 15 and they can't make them go now because they're in their 30s now. But they obviously couldn't work there when they were 15, but because they came from Mexico, they didn't check. They didn't care because they just bring them in through an outside agency. And so they have hella, like, very little rights. They get abused like a motherfucker. I've posted shit from this factory. Nasty-ass Gatorade station. No air conditioning the entire climate change summer. And I, I don't have a thermometer in there, but I, I lived in Florida for 12 years. I know when the temperature is in the mid-90s. You know, it's fucking ridiculous in that building. And um, now, with the exact same company, I transferred to where I'm going to be working in Michigan. And one of the first things they told me was, when you go in for orientation on Monday, you have the option to join the union immediately. <laughs> And it's like, that, oh, wow. yeah, so like, I, I'm not going to be, you know, a coon like Charlemagne and talk about black privilege, but there is a nationalist privilege with me simply have being born here. I just get to be part of the union. Oh, and I start out with an instant raise because obviously they looked at what I would because that's another thing from this area where they mostly hire the immigrant labor. They obviously start everyone at lower wages. Because if you are American born, well, you're coming to basically a Mexican factory and you're going to take the Mexican wage. Me, I'm ignorant of the uh, of the industry. So I didn't know that starting there at nine dollars an hour was like 50 percent of what I should have started at. <laughs> right. Like I thought, oh, yeah, I guess that's what factory workers make. It's like, no, that's what that's how they exploit this particular group of labor that's what they start at and it's really grimy and so yeah they start out with because they looked and saw what i was getting even after four years of raises and promotions i was still making so little that this new factory said we have to give you a raise because it's kind of weird to pay you that little 
So that's what I'm going through now. Um, for folks that may see the Facebook Live, obviously I don't have the office fully set up with the cool visuals and whatnot in the background. But as far as working the wine cellar, this is the biggest workspace I've had. And bigger workspace means I can use more equipment, which means I can produce a cooler show. And that does matter, right? Like I'm trapped in capitalism too, and I need to be able to make a cool podcast that people will want to pay to hear, you know, so I can buy some hamburger meat and taco seasoning, you know, so fucking, um, yeah, that's essentially what I'm doing out here. I'm in the new wine cellar and also the wine cellar schedule is about to get a little wacky because for the first time in 11 years, I'm going to be working the um, afternoon to night shift. So like wine cellar is going to be like some midday shit. And I also don't know yet if this factory is also six days a week mandatory. The other one was, and I'm pretty sure we know why after what I've already said, but I don't know if this one is. If this one is only five days a week, then holy shit, I have a whole other day of wine cellar and I don't just have to rely on the Sunday. So I'll definitely have to let Dr. Springler know if it's six days a week and if I'm on Sunday and if we have to, like, find a new space to fit Talk Fury into. And um, I'm going to orientation at 7.30 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time. And after that's over, I'll announce whatever the um, how I can start making the new wine cellar production schedule. Okay, Dr. Springler, it was a hot summer. What kind of fall and winter are we about to have? Because so far, your predictions are 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I wish my predictions weren't, wouldn't uh, come true. I'm a little cynical at this point. Um, but I'm, I'm cynical because I want to be real with everybody. You know, I want to be real about what's going on so we can be have some honest hope about what we can actually do in the future, in a in the totally different future. So, um, gosh... Fall and winter. Oof. Well, I think we're in by by the way I, I predict. So here's what I predict: there's going to be a huge vaccine fiasco. Now, I am not an anti-vaxxer, but I also know what happened in Tuskegee. I also know that the medical industry is kind of full of shit, and they are also looking to get their their coin wherever and however they can. And we'll take advantage of any crisis like any capitalist does. So, anyway, I think there's going to be a multi-layered um, vaccine fiasco. I think there's going to be a rush in unsafe vaccines. And this is something that I've already uh, talked about on my Facebook, for instance, in, uh, in uh, around here. So, the black HBCUs, um, from what I hear, and I have not confirmed this, I will, I will put that out there, but the... Uh, two HBCUs here in New Orleans, uh, Dillard University and Xavier University, have put out a call. They put a letter out um, requesting their students, urging their students to volunteer for the vaccine trials, even though they're in an early phase that is um, experimental. And um, so they specifically asking and begging students to sign up and volunteer as a duty to the black community, basically, that has been affected so much by the coronavirus. Now, schools at my university, which is majority white school, which is a huge facility um, of medical, we're, we're, we're known as top three in the country for medical public health. We literally study epidemiology and viruses and tropical tropical medicine and viruses for malaria. That's what the school was started for by a bunch of white people who wanted to protect white people from malaria in the Caribbean. So, um, they haven't asked any of us. They haven't asked us to volunteer for vaccine trials, but they're asking but these HBCUs, which again, unconfirmed that I'm hearing that they, it's because of the grants that they received from, um, these these uh, these foundations, these medical foundations, with the you know like the you know Gates Foundation and whatnot, that are that are running these vaccine trials, and so that's why they're pushing their students to be guinea pigs. Anyway, they'll say that's not the reason, but it's it's I I see I see the bullshit coming. I I see some waves of bullshit coming. Then you're gonna have the 
anti-vaxxers, whether they have any any percentage of grounding in fact or not, you're going to get a wave of them coming in that are going to protest it. Then we're going to get the state coming in to try to, you know, to, whether it's going to be mandatory or not. We're going to have waves of evictions. We're going to have, so there's going to be like, I, I feel like we've been dealing with the coronavirus for six months of just kind of sitting stuck trying to not die and we haven't felt the weight, the aftermath, the aftershocks that are going to be the real killer now of everything that's going to be piled up. Um, so yeah, I, I predict I predict vaccine wars, multi-layers of bullshit with that. I predict um, I predict the, uh, the, the eviction wave. That's going to be huge and that's um, that's going to be happening fall and winter, I think. That's my two big, uh, that's my two big predictions at this point. And, you know, even unrelated to the virus, there's going to be continued unrest, um, continued um, violence, increases in violence. But this is, it's not going to stop. Hmm. And I guess um, I'll push it forward and I'll close out uh, here. I think um, moving because of the industry I work in, everything is like six to eight months, sometimes even almost a year in advance. So um, I have to look at um, early next summer and next spring for people that work in industries like mine, like packaging, manufacturing, distribution. Um, We're going to see a decrease in overtime and maybe even regular time hours because we have had the same clients having us produce and package products at the same rate as if this is a normal year with the pandemic. Like, I think that Halloween is going to tank and all the shit that we packaged for Halloween and all the money, like all these corporations are going to see money wasted on manufacturing these Halloween products packaging them storing them and shipping them they're gonna say holy shit we lost money or we didn't get the return on investment that we wanted and they're not gonna make those same orders um next year and so when we go to into that time of spring when when we start packaging halloween products which means the manufacturers are making them when it's still winter shit so when like you're gonna see folks that work in industries like mine see the money go down and you might not see evictions because you know for like we folks that work in industries like me we almost have class privilege like on, on the real to real i'm supposed to be a bootlicker right because we we're so close to class privilege we can fucking smell it and um so we have a bit more of an advantage where we won't see evictions but you're gonna see like smaller apartments and smaller houses we're gonna be moving folks that may be like a three or two car household might shave that down to being a one car household like because we're definitely going to be losing money in 2021 because we're not going to get the same orders from large-scale clients in these factories again next year i think that's the deal all right dr springler this is talk fury feminist uprising to resist inequality and exploitation and you were talking about the red rag there is there i'm not going to do the pitch for the wine cellar um how can folks help the red red rag good question so we need um donations uh in order to stock it that's our thing right now is getting a new brand new budget just for this project to stock this every week as people come by and they pick things up daily. Um, so we have, you can find our PayPal. If you go to panwomanist.org, you can donate to our PayPal. Um, there's a link on there for PayPal, the little symbol. Um, it should be our email, um, theory.chicago at gmail.com. I believe the way to access it. But um, yeah, feel free to all, you can also email us. You can share our, share our posts and things like that to help support. Um, so, you know, we're not all just about making fundraising calls, but that is right now, that is the thing that we have to do. <laughs> um, but we, we go out and we shop and we get it, and we get it. Sometimes we get donations of food, but to be consistent, we have to go buy from the grocery stores. So um, to make sure it never runs out. 
So, um, yeah, that's our big thing right now. I spread the word. There is an Instagram for that we just took over that is red rag underscore red rag um, underscore pantry, I believe. So we're, we're getting all this worked out right now. But if you follow us on social media, you can find a link and help spread the word. Or if you know anybody who would like to donate specifically just to a pantry, if you leave a, you can write a note with the PayPal donation and everything. Um or Venmo. We're setting that up for Fury right now. Some people like Venmo. I've got a personal one, but I know people would prefer to send it to an organization. But as the co-chair, when you, on on the apps like that, you can say for a red rack pantry, and we send receipts to people. When we do grocery shopping, anybody who sends us donations for, um, you know, for the red rack pantry specifically, we like to send them receipts and photo updates of you know, online or on social media of what we bought for the red rag. So people get a sense that their money is, is going to something. It doesn't just disappear into an organization, right? So, um, so you know, we, we like to do that kind of stuff. So if you can support in any way or just help spread the word, um, or if you're interested in starting something like this where you're at, you know, it's going to take some time, but we would like to be able to work with people and um, locally wherever they're at to get some stuff going. God damn it. And that's it. Yeah, no wine cellar pitch. Red rag for this one. All right, folks. Um, we're in here. We're in this um, town home, as they call it, which means I have neighbors on both sides of me. So, like, I'm a grown-ass adult that can't smoke reefer in my office. Whatever. Fine. Uh, but I still got unpacking to do, like... Uh, we're we're moving in, but it, it, it's, a, it's a slow move in, and I got to go back to the factory. And again, my schedule has changed. So folks may see me randomly in the daytime now. And then at 3 p.m., I go to work to 11 p.m. I don't know yet if I'm going to do a late night wine cellar or early morning because I am on Eastern time. So I know if I leave work at 11 p.m. and I get home at midnight, if I go live, people in California are still at 9 p.m. So I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on it, but the wine cellar schedule is way changing. All right. And this will be this and that'll be that. And with the end of the episode, I tip my motherfucking hat. Dr. Springler, be safe out there. You too now. Talk to you next week. All right. Peace. And Facebook Live. Let's thank go. you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Yes, thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. <laughs>